Well, we've all met that person. That person. I know you've met him. You can probably even think of who it is in your mind when I talk about that person. That person, you know, the one that's better than everyone else. The one that loves to talk about themselves. The one that's just absolutely filled with compliments towards themselves. The one that is so cocky and arrogant that it about drives you crazy. They love a lot of people, but they love one person more than anybody else. It's themselves. You ever met that person? You know, there's a saying out there that it's, it's not attributed to any one individual, but the saying is simply this, pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who's got it. I love that line. Pride. And having said all that, the title of my message this morning is Loving Yourself. Loving Yourself. You know, we all know that arrogant person who comes across so arrogant. And and I would just like to maybe remind us that oftentimes that person carrying themselves that way really is doing it to cover up a lot of internal issues, a lot of internal doubts and fears and pains. But when I look at that kind of pride and that kind of almost self-love, it can't help but go to that place in the Scripture where it's listed no less than 10 times in most translations, where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Notice it's said in such a way that it's not a command to love yourself. It's assumed that we love ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there must be a kind of love of self that brings glory and honor to God. It can't possibly be that kind of self-love that I was just describing. It's got to be something else. And as I said, we're told 10 different times at least in the Scripture. In Leviticus, we see it twice in chapter 19, where God is speaking to Moses, and God tells us to love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. He goes so far as saying, you know, that stranger, you know, it's one thing for God to tell the people of of Israel, you know, love your brothers, but it's a whole other thing. He says, you know, that stranger that's in the land, in the camp, it's around you, love them as you love yourself. From the word of God himself. Then we see in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is speaking to, in the story that we call the rich young ruler who wants to know how he can inherit eternal life. And and Jesus goes through a number of the commandments, and then he says, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Matthew 22, and in Mark 12, Jesus is in conversation with some scribes who are trying to trip him up, as they were usually doing. And they're asking him about what's the greatest commandments. And we all are pretty familiar with the response to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But he didn't stop there. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Assumed every time and every spot that there is a love of self that's implied. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus asks a scribe a question about the law. 
And the scribe himself declares, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus compliments him and says, hey, good job, you got it right. Well, the scribe didn't want to stop there. Well, who's my neighbor? And we know the story. And then we also see in a couple of the epistles in Romans chapter 13 and Galatians 5, Paul, in summarizing the law, comes to those same phrase. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we see James, when he is talking about fulfillment of the law, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. What kind of love must this be? Where do we get that kind of love? How do we love ourselves rightly? How do we love ourselves in such a way that God is truly glorified because we were created to bring him glory? So there must be a type of self-love, a loving of oneself that brings him glory. And he is commanding us to love others as we love ourselves. Is it a kind of love that we can learn? If so, what's it look like? How do we learn it? Is it really important? The implication is clear in every one of those scriptures. If we're going to love others, we've got to love ourselves. Love them as you love yourself. If we're going to love the body of Christ, we have to love ourselves. Now, the world understands, even the world understands, that people have a problem with this. I mean, there are, are, are genres of, quote-unquote, medicine, that are developed just to help people to learn to love themselves. There's different psychologies, philosophies, psychotherapies, all of these things that have developed and created to help people love themselves. I was sharing with Casey, I was doing some research, I had to stop because I was getting so confused. Looking at what different therapists and different techniques and the way they're going to help you learn to love yourself. They understand that most people don't love themselves. No matter what they present here, they don't love themselves. They would, they would say one therapist, and you know, these are published people, I, I, I was going to share their books and their names, but I didn't want to be the one to bring you that bad news. It says things like this, if I have someone, if my wife comes to me and says, I just feel terrible about myself, I'm, I'm just filled with guilt and shame, and I go, wait a minute, now can you be a friend with that thought? Could you just sit down next to that thought and have a conversation with that thought? Could you have empathy and find empathy in you for that thought? I'm going to stop before you start throwing up. It makes so little sense. And it's so ineffective, especially long term. How do we do it? How do we find it? There's one method that they call introspective prioritization of self. And they'll use this in many different forms, and it has sometimes different names, focusing or whatever. But don't you love that phrase, introspective prioritization of self? And what they're really talking about is a form of self-meditation, where we look inward. And we look inward, and we we know we got some stuff there that's not so pretty, but we want to look inward and look and focus on all the good attributes that you can find in yourself. And if we find this and do this in meditation, the hope is and the goal is that I tip the scales at least a little bit in the favor of, ah, Mike's not so bad. I guess I could like him. Maybe I could even love him. And if we can tip the scale a little bit, we find freedom. Freedom from all those negative thoughts. 
that we have. And sometimes we can actually get a little bit of relief. But the reality is it doesn't last very long. The reality is it's really got a whole lot of flaws in this type of thinking. I don't know about you, but if I would look inward at myself, and if I would be honest with myself, doing this introspective prioritization of self, I'm not sure I'd like myself that much. Matter of fact, I think if most of us would look inward, and I'll support this with Scripture in just a minute, but if we'd look inward, I could easily end up in self-loathing instead of self-love. I could look inward and I could see the selfishness that's in there. I could look inside and look inward and I could see all the bitterness that's in there. I could look inside and I could see the anger that's in there. I could look inside me and, and see all the things that I've done in my past that I'm feeling guilty about or feel shame about as I focus on all those things as I'm looking inward. If I look inward, I could find all those insecurities that I have. I could see all those irrational fears that I have. And now it's like, well, that's a big pile. I hope the scale doesn't break. Now I've got to start trying to see if I can bring some balance and find freedom from all of that junk. It's a heavy task. In my case, I think it would be an impossible task. And for many of us, I think it would be an impossible task. This whole self-love philosophy that the world has is based on what is biblically a totally false premise. And I, I know most of us have heard this phrase before. Some of us have maybe even spoke this phrase before. And some of us maybe even believe this phrase. And the phrase is simply this. Human beings are basically good. We're basically good. Well, the problem with that is, and I will, I will give some benefit. There are some people that are really seem nice. Uh, most of the time I've been around them, they seem like pretty good people. But the problem with that philosophy and the problem with that thinking is, it is absolutely contrary to Scripture. It doesn't work. There's a couple of scriptures first in Jeremiah 17. And these can be troubling scriptures until you hear the rest of the story. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it really is? That is the human heart of the natural man that does not know Christ. Romans 7.18 says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. This is Paul writing, the Apostle Paul. He goes on and says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. He knows that that thing, that sin thing, and in the, in the life of an unbeliever, it's, it's all-powerful. You can't overcome it. We can try to subdue it. We can try to hold it down, but it has a power in the life of an unbeliever. 
And the good news is these statements here should have no negative impact whatsoever on a believer. This kind of person that we're talking about absolutely cannot be the type of person we're supposed to love, right? I don't want to love that Mike, that Mike that's filled with all those negative things that I could find if I look backwards and I look inwards in me. I don't love that Mike. And I don't believe God would want me to love that Mike. But the good news is that's not who I am. And if you're a believer in Christ, that's not who you are. So where do we love and how do we love ourselves in the way that God assumes we should love ourselves so that we could love others as ourselves? And when it's assumed, it should be natural. But it's not necessarily natural if we don't understand and if we don't believe what he says about us. There is truly a loving yourself that God assumes to be present in his children. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, again, the two greatest commandments. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, or soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There is a distinction between what a Christian and a non-Christian would look like. Paul makes it so clear in a couple of different places. In 2 Timothy 3, he writes these words. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Well, we're supposed to love ourselves. But then it describes lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Ick. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. He's making a distinction. There are two different groups of people. Those that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, accepted the gift of salvation, have been redeemed and those that have rejected Christ and are still living as that old man under the power and bondage of sin. And in Titus 3, he goes, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But then it says, But... When the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved us. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done. It doesn't do any good to try to put our works on a scale with our bad and our good. Because it's not because of any righteousness that we've done. He saved us. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And when you look at that, it's all because of what he did. He says, we were like that, but we aren't anymore. 
So I'm beginning to think and understand in my own mind that there's a difference between the old Mike and the redeemed Mike. The redeemed Mike's not perfect, but that's the one that I can love. I can love the redeemed person that God declares me to be. You should be able to love the redeemed person he has created you to be. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things passed away. All things are new. We're redeemed. So what's really the only way that I can love myself in a way that brings glory and honor to God is to know and experience the love of God for me. That's where I find freedom. That's the freedom that the whole world is looking for. That's the freedom that's available to us in Christ as redeemed people. Loving the redeemed you because of what Christ has done through Christ, his work on the cross. I'm pretty certain that there's many of us in here that have struggled with guilt and shame, feelings of unworthiness, feelings of being unlovable, feelings of being... uh, filled with fears and anxiety, insecurities, that you just can't seem to shake. And there's that part of you or the world telling you, just try harder. Just try harder. Think good things. Try harder. Look inside for the good things. Think of all the good things you are and all the good things you've done. And the reality is, it might work for the moment, but it won't last. It won't work. Striving for loving yourself and self-acceptance might seem like the only way out, but it'll fail every time. What is necessary for a biblical self-love, a loving of self that brings glory and honor to God, what is absolutely necessary is to know and understand and believe who we as Christians are in Christ. We learn the words, we say the words, Do we understand and do we believe who we are in Christ? Who are you in Christ? What has he declared you to be? Don't believe the world. Don't believe those thoughts that the enemy puts in your head or that you come up with on your own. Don't believe those lies. We need to believe the truth. And what's the truth? That we have been redeemed. We have been born again. We are a new creature in Christ. Why? Because of the righteousness of Christ. We can love ourself that has been redeemed by the righteousness of Christ. That's it. That's the answer. How do we love ourselves to bring him glory? Because of the righteousness of Christ that he has declared is ours and because of what he declares us to be. It's not striving to love ourselves more. It's coming to know who we are in Christ more and more. Whatever we were, we've been washed clean. These are more than words in the scripture. They're the words of God. It's his attitude. It's how he sees us. It's how he declares us to be. He's, he's saying these things. Not, not anybody else. God himself is saying these things about us. He's saying these things to us. That he has redeemed you. The righteousness of Christ is now ours. It will change the way we think when we believe who he says we are 
in him. There are so many scriptures. I'm going to pick a couple, three. Romans 3.22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. He's the source. We can wear ourselves out striving. It won't do any good. It comes from him. To all those who believe, it's available to every single one who believes the righteousness of Christ. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That should remove forever the argument in your mind or the comparisons in your mind about who's better than you or who are you better than. There's no difference. Everybody sinned. There's no difference for all who believe you're all, we're all declared righteous. All of us are declared righteous. And he goes on in verse 24 and says, and are justified freely by his grace. Quit striving. It's free by his grace. He's declared you righteous through his work. I mean, he's done it all. All he wants you and I to do is receive it. Believe it, and then let the Holy Spirit help us live it every day through the redemption that comes, and again, by Christ Jesus. I paid special attention as I was going through all these verses how many times he reminds us who's doing what. Over and over it, it's through Christ, given to us by, by Christ, for us, by. All we have, all we have to do is believe it, receive it, and the Holy Spirit will then let us begin to live it in greater and greater and greater freedom. In John, Second Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 5, this is God declaring us these things as redeemed people. Take verses like this and read them and put yourself in there and read them and read them and read them till it gets past your head and into your heart into your soul, that you believe it, you know it, you understand it. When a thought contrary comes to it, the truth bubbles up and just blows that lie out of the water completely. He declares these things, and he's talking to you and me specifically, personally, when he says these things. Now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we regarded Christ in this way, we don't do that any longer. Therefore, If you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, what does it mean? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Acknowledged your sins, accepted his sacrifice on your behalf. If so, you are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, what does it say? You're a new creation. I don't look different in the mirror. Don't go by the mirror. I don't feel different. Don't go by your feelings. Go by the truth of what God declares, you're a new creation in Christ. Anything that the devil throws at you, or the world throws at you, or your silly old imagination that hasn't been completely renewed yet throws at you, I'm going to stand on the truth. I am righteous in Christ. I'm his child. The old is gone. The new has come. And then verse 18 again says, all this is from God. You can't earn it. Don't wear yourself out trying. It's a gift. I'm going to believe it. This is who I am. 
This is the self that God wants you to love. This is the self-love that brings him glory and honor because it's all about him, putting our faith and trust in him. John 1, 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, to those accept who he is and what he's done, to those people, that should be all of us as Christians, to those people, it goes on and says, he gave the right to become children of God. You guys all know how I feel about that. It means everything to me. But think about it. God is declaring this. He's looking you right in the eye and grabbing a hold of your heart, and he's saying, I love you. I love you. You're my child. I bought you at the price of my son. He suffered and died for you, just as you were. And now you're a new creation in Christ. That's who you are. I can love that redeemed person in Christ because of what he's done. I can love that person. That's what he's saying. Love yourself in, in, in view of who I am and what I've done, giving you the righteousness of my son. Boy, that will shut up the world in a hurry. Because they're going to think you're nuts when you talk and think and believe that stuff. He goes on and says, Children of God, born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. He did it. All about him. All about him. And we get all the benefit. 1 John 3, verse 1. How great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is what you are. If you've accepted Christ, if you've believed in Jesus and what he's done, that's who you are. The reality is, I hope this doesn't sound harsh, but the reality is if you don't believe it, you're calling God a liar because he's the one that's declaring it. That's who you are. You're not perfect in the natural sense. We won't be till he comes back. But that's who he sees us as right now. He goes on and says, The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We we haven't gotten there completely. We are righteous and all those things, but there's still this process of becoming what he finally has for us. And he goes on and says, when, when we, he appears, we will be like him. And we shall be, and we'll see him as he really is. We're children of God. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. God himself speaks to us through his word, telling us over and over and over and over and over again who we are. And this should be, should be a natural process in all who have been born again by the Spirit of God. But we have a world that's telling us otherwise. We have people in our spheres that are telling us otherwise. We have past experiences in our life telling us otherwise. And we have got to come to the place where we say, you know what, they're all lies. I'm not going to believe him. I am who God says I am. And I'm going to live my life to bring him glory and honor by believing 
what he says about me. The Holy Spirit will bring us to that place of becoming more and more and more like Christ until the day comes when we truly will be like him in every respect. But the good news is, we're not like him yet, but when the Father looks at me, he sees already the righteousness of Christ. Already he sees me as holy and righteous. That's who I am as the redeemed Mike. And that's the self we can love because of the redemption, because of the blood that was shed, because of what Christ has done, because of the new birth that has been happening in our life, that took place in our lives the moment we believed. We can stand on those truths of who we are in him. We are loved and accepted because, not because we are worthy in and of ourselves, but because Christ is worthy. That's why we are so loved and accepted. Father looks at his son Jesus, and Jesus is worthy. And we have been given that as joint heirs with Christ. It is when we discover and believe the reality of the redemption. It is so easy for, if it, for all of us or any of us to get used to hearing these words or even reading these words. But meditate on the truth of them, and it will change our lives. Yeah, I've been redeemed. I don't have to look back anymore. That in introspective prioritization stuff doesn't matter. We don't look inward anymore. We look outward at Christ. And when we look outward at Christ and what the Father's done, that's who we are. We can't continually look inward in the past. Remember, you've got an enemy who wants us to do that all the time. And the world around us is very cooperative whether they know it or not. That's why it's so important. We need to know, understand, and believe who we are as redeemed people, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It is the good news of the gospel. It is only the good news of the gospel that can set people free from all that junk that holds us back. And if you believe that, and I would ask this question, you don't have to raise your hands, do we believe that? If so, that's the message we need to be giving and sharing to the world. The good news of the gospel. That's what we need. If it's that powerful, if it's done that in my life, it's done that in your life, the world is looking for it. We need to be sure. It's the only message that will work. All the philosophy, all of the political, all just pick any part of the world. It won't do the job. The message that works is the gospel. And that's what we're called to share with the world around us. The gospel message is truly a gospel message, is a message of freedom. Freedom from our efforts to love that broken old person who didn't know Christ. And the answer comes from outside of that brokenness in Christ. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I hope understanding a little bit about what it means to be redeemed would draw you closer to making the choice that everybody needs to make.
You know, I hope there's no one in here who's rejected that truth. I hope at the very least everybody in here is on the way to salvation. But if you haven't reached that destination, if you have not chosen to believe and accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, don't wait. Don't wait. It's so free. It's so liberating when we begin to understand who we are as the redeemed children of God. And it's what the Father wants more than anything because he sent his Son to purchase it for us. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you seems so insufficient when we talk about our redemption. God, we just praise you and thank you. We can worship you. There's no one like you. There's no one could do what you've done. Father, I pray for each one of us here that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus that we have accepted the gift of salvation through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Father, I pray that you would help every single one of us to have a greater understanding and to get a greater revelation by the Holy Spirit and by your word as to what that means. Father, that we would no longer walk as born-again believers bound and chained up by the old things, the things that have been dealt with, already by you. Lord, I pray that the message of the gospel would resonate so deeply within each one of us that we couldn't help but share it with people we come in contact with. The good news of Jesus, the hope that we have, the certain hope that we have. Lord, I pray that we would, we would walk away from your word encouraged, strengthened, comforted, and motivated in the truths that truly set us free and can set others free. I pray now, Lord, as we go our separate ways today, you would go before us, that you would watch over us and keep us safe, that you would give us those divine appointments and give us the grace to see them for what they are and give us the boldness and love to minister and reach out wherever we might go. Father, we ask this, that you would receive all the glory and honor in your Son's name. Amen.